Welcome back to our Russia-Ukraine conflict podcast, and this is our second main segment, continuing following the article that we mentioned by James Perloff and going through the various sources he provides. So in this particular segment, we're going to talk more about Big Bad Vlad Putin, and you can determine just how big and bad he actually is in the negative sense of the word. So this is where it gets interesting, and it overlaps a lot of what we talked about in apocalyptic elections. But for now, we're just going to focus on what we have here. And there's a series of speeches or uh, talks that he gives on the world stage in public. So it's not in secret. It's not a secret meeting of Lindsey Graham and Ukrainian troops or anything like that. And you can just watch them all here on the page, and then there might be a couple extras I'm pulling from other sources that I'll put in the links. Now remember, there's a few different things said about Mr. Putin. Obviously, the Western democratic NATO regime, the liberal imperium, is going to say he's an evil dictator, another Stalin, or whatever it might be, uh, to conjure up ghosts of the Cold War, I suppose. But for some reason, on the other side... Many Catholics, traditional Catholics even, especially Fatima believers, tend to think that Vladimir Putin is a crypto-KGB agent because he used to be part of the KGB, which is kind of what you'd be part of if you grew up in a nation's military and political system, right? Just because somebody's part of the CIA doesn't automatically mean they're a horrible, evil person, although... It is perhaps warranted to put a little bit of a lens on that and wonder exactly what's going on there, right? Because a lot of times the intelligence agencies are where weird stuff is going on and shady stuff is happening. But it doesn't ipso facto make it so. And also, people can change. That's the whole point of Christianity. If you don't believe that, then I don't really know why you say you're a Christian, because that's the whole point, especially from a Catholic viewpoint with the sacraments, God can convert whoever he wants. There is no sin that is greater than God's mercy. That's just a basic Catholic teaching. But apparently one of those sins tends to be a former association with KGB stuff. You could just never, ever be anything other than a KGB agent if you used to be one. That's just impossible, right? Even though like we'll praise these former communist people like Solzhenitsyn, who, uh, you know, was like a, a Marxist atheist person and then gradually became an Orthodox Christian after being in the camps and wrote all these books about it, right? Well, he can change, but somebody like Vladimir Putin could not change. Even if Vladimir Putin is promoting Solzhenitsyn, uh, that's just a facade. He couldn't possibly be legit. He's just using Christianity to maintain his power. This is kind of like the typical accusation you'll hear. Um, now, that could be a suspicion. I'm not saying that that's irrational as a suspicion. These are suspicions that I've had myself about various people from time to time. And you can never really know. However, I find it strange that people will give a free pass to others who are in similar situations or say similar things or even produce similar fruits. But for some reason, when it comes to Putin, they won't do it. I don't quite understand that. And I think a lot of people just aren't aware of some of the things we're going to go through. And even if you become aware of them and you still are suspicious, that's totally up to you. This is for everyone else to decide. 
But there's a lot of things that I think go missing from the narrative when people are suspicious about Putin's commitment to Christianity versus him being a crypto communist, still KGB, whatever person who wants communism. I think at the least you'll find out that that is an untenable position. You can make the argument that he's promoting Christianity to be in power. Okay, maybe. But to act like he's really working for communism, again, this is like accusing the Jesuits of creating Freemasonry or the Bavarian Illuminati. It's just absolutely absurd. Go ahead and hold the view if you'd like. I'm not going to stop you, but my sentiments. So with that in mind, let's move on and go through some of these items. So one is taken from a speech by Vladimir Putin, and some of these events, I'm not exactly sure when they were, but you can tell it's a public event and everything's in Russia, so I have no idea. This one's called the Valdai Conference or something. So he's up at a podium with a bunch of people, and here is what he says, and I'm going to give a mixture of direct quotes and summarizations to save time, but everything I'm doing is in context with what he's saying, if I'm paraphrasing. So he says, first point, Russian identity is Christian. And he says that the West is rejecting their Christian roots and they are relativizing or denying this same identity that they used to share, the Christian roots that he calls the basis of Western civilization. So notice he's not attacking Western civilization. He's not saying we are more superior in Christianity and our Christianity is better than yours. He's just saying that the West is going away from its roots that they share, and he wants to embrace those roots. So he's not creating an East versus West Christian conflict. He's saying that the West is denying its own heritage, and he doesn't like that, and he's warning against that. So the point I'm trying to make is that he's not making it an East versus West Christianity, and Orthodox is better than Roman Catholicism or whatever. He may believe that, but he's not making it about that. And that's just par for the course for either side of that battle. But that's not his focus. And I think that that's very, quote unquote, ecumenical. He's just talking about Christianity in general with its moral and basic foundations and traditions that are being denied in the West. And he's warning against this happening. So next point, he says, Christian morals and basic traditions are denied in the West. And now they're even denying gender identity. And that this is going so far as to treat a family with many children as equal to a homosexual relationship. And he says, quote, this is promoting an idea that faith in God is equal to faith in Satan. So he's talking about moral relativism here. Oh, yeah, satanic stuff and Christian stuff. It's all the same, man. It's all good. He's saying that that's what we're rejecting and that's what the West is succumbing to. And I can't say that he's wrong on that. Continuing. He says that the excesses of political correctness are leading to serious consequences. And more importantly, one of these consequences or byproduct of this is that it's legitimizing parties that promote the propaganda of pedophilia. And we have seen that where people are looking for pedo rights. There was even a TED talk that was pulled down because it was a little too controversial, but they're testing the waters. Continuing, he says that people in Europe are ashamed of their religious affiliations or even frightened to speak about them, and that Christian holidays are neutralized and renamed or abolished, right? Happy holidays! Can't say Christmas, that's mean. And that the Western Europe 
are maybe celebrating these holidays, but they're hiding the deeper moral value of these traditions and feast days. So, as we mentioned in Apocalyptic Elections, at Mardi Gras, people drink till they pass out and go into orgy land in New Orleans and give beads to women who take their tops off, right? Um, That's supposed to be a holiday before Lent. You eat a little bit more than you normally would to prepare for Lenten season. You don't go on some all-out orgy and let alone don't even worry about obeying Lent, right? Then St. Patrick's Day, you just go get as drunk as possible. Uh, Christmas, you just buy a bunch of stuff and everybody's obsessing about material things, Black Friday, stuff like that. The list goes on. So he is not incorrect there. Furthermore, he says, all of this is being forced onto other countries through globalization. Hence, Russia does not want this forced upon them, and that's why he doesn't like these things encroaching, especially military or things that seem like bioweapons, perhaps, uh, going further and further east. And the result has been the recent conflict and invasion, according to him, at least. Continuing... He says the best evidence for this degeneracy, loss of Christianity, is the loss of reproduction, meaning we are not reproducing our population. We have widespread abortion that's getting worse. Yes, Russia has had an abortion problem, but we're going to talk about how that has been progressing away from that. And he says that these quote-unquote developed countries can't even reproduce with the help of migrants. And of course, we have plenty of those coming in, but nonetheless, there's still all these problems. And he says, without values rooted in Christianity and other world religions, so he's actually being very Vatican II ecumenical here, right? He's saying there's seeds of the word, probably referring to things like objective Greco-Roman goods and law and virtue, order, philosophy, whatnot. Basically says that not having rules or moral values that have developed over a millennia, well, people start to lose their dignity. He says they become brutes. Everything that people are accusing Russia of being a bunch of brutes. He says, therefore, Russia thinks it is right and natural to defend and preserve these values that the West is rejecting. Notice how he doesn't say that if the West embraced these things, Russia would be against them. It would be Eastern Orthodox versus Roman Catholicism, Great Schism all over again. No, he's not saying that. He's trying to appeal to a unity here. Continuing, he says, we must respect the right of every minority to self-determination. So he's not you know, just disrespecting all minorities and being a big ethnocentric Russian jerk. He's saying, but not without balance about the rights of the majority. And I think he's implying people who want Christianity and what has been democratically elected, even though some people would contest and say that Putin is rigging elections. But like we said, there's a lot of accusations that we wonder if it's like the demons doing exactly what they are accusing the other person of doing and projecting it all onto them and ignoring what they're doing themselves. Continuing, he says, Yet on the world stage in the globalist West, there is a unipolar or unified vision that is relativizing everything to remove national sovereignty and international rights, unless it's for nationalism in Ukraine, if it's promoting the same kind of culture. That's totally fine. But generally speaking, open borders, international pride parade, transgender abortion on demand culture everywhere. That's what's being exported. So he's saying is the unified vision that they don't want. 
And he says, in such a world, there are no sovereign states, but merely vassal states of this unified globalist movement that, again, is anti-Christian and pro-degeneracy. So it's interesting he's saying that that's a type of feudalism, even though Russian Tsardom is known for its feudal state. And that's what he's bringing back, right? Well, you can be the judge of that. And he says, submitting to such a regime is to surrender one's own identity and God's created diversity. So God's diversity. We don't have a problem with diversity, but we want God's natural diversity, not this fake woke version where you are all diverse in how you want to commit your mortal sins and force that upon everyone else. So again, I emphasize, notice what is lacking here. There is no Russian superiority, our Christianity is better than the Western Christianity, etc. He's warning the West that this is what it's becoming and that Russia doesn't want to become that. Simple as that. It's pretty clear. And he's also encouraging the West to embrace Western Christendom by default. That's just what he's doing here. So I don't see a problem with that in the speech. Now, you could argue that his actions don't match up with what he's saying, but we'll get to that later. But I would say if you took out the Russian context and the Russian orthodoxy and you just took everything he said there and insert it into the words of, I don't know, Cardinal Burke or uh, Bishop Schneider, I have a feeling they'd all be getting standing ovations from the Catholic trad world. But when it's Putin doing that, oh, we can't trust him. He just must be lying to maintain some sort of political power. Uh, just think about that for a little bit. Let's move on. Here's another video excerpt where Putin talks about his issues with NATO and on his clear terms against them. So first point, he says, Russia will not accept NATO pushing its order into Russian territory. He says this is to preserve Russia's isolation from this essentially LGBT liberal paradise and world order of abortion on demand. He says they have a right, meaning the Russians, to reject this. And then he says, quote, what is incomprehensible here? And I'd say, good point. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Rather than a judicial nominee who doesn't know how to define a woman or when life begins and just deflects all the questions, the simple yes or no questions, like all the leftist woke people do. They just won't answer a simple question. We saw this with Dorsey in the uh, when they got thrown in the principal's office of the that Senator Ron, was it Ron Johnson? And then Jack Dorsey's like, well, we changed our policies and derp, derp. And Mark Zuckerberg is like, oh, I can't answer that. I'm sorry. I'll get back to you. And they just ask basic questions. I don't know if people remember those, the, that, that inquisition, quote unquote, but it seemed more like some uh, bratty hipster kids being in the principal's office. That was more the vibe I got. But nonetheless... That seems to be the pattern here with all the, the people in this globalist, global homo democracy. And quick thing I'll interject here. People probably know this from what I've said before, but just in case not. When I talk about the global homo LGBT agenda and all that stuff, we're talking about the culture that's being forced down people's throats and thrown in schools and all this stuff. There's plenty of people who identify as gay or lesbian or whatever. And they don't like that. They don't like any of this stuff. They feel like it unfairly stereotypes them and stuff like that. I'm actually very sympathetic to those people. Obviously, we have different differences of agreement on objective morality and stuff like that. But it doesn't mean we can't get along and I'm not friends with a lot of these people or whatever. So I'm separating 
those types of folks or the people who are really just duped by this and all of these regimes are actually oppressing the homosexuals by saying they're going to liberate them and getting them to live in fear of Christian regimes or something like that. I've talked about this extensively before, but in case somebody's just happening upon this, I'm making that distinction here. So if somebody's listening and they're, you know, gay person or whatever, this isn't directed at you personally. It's directed at the ideology of that going out of control into chaos that if you're listening to this, you probably don't like that either. So just wanted to make that point clear. If I talk and it sounds kind of derogatory, I'm not directing it at you. You know what I'm talking about. All right, back to the speech. Here's where Putin starts talking about stuff that's more relevant to the situation that's going on now. He says, is Russia placing missiles on the border of the U.S.? No. But he says, however, if it's the USA that comes into Russia's home or borders with missiles, then apparently that's totally fine. And he says they are already in front of our home. He says, is this some kind of excessive demand not to put any more offensive systems in front of our house? What is so unusual here? Again, it's pretty simple. How would America react if Russia just put missiles on the border between Canada and USA or in Mexico? That's the example he uses. And I think this is relative to, I think it's the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Isn't that what this whole thing was about? But when the tables are turned, all of a sudden it's a huge problem and Putin's an evil dictator that's an aggressor and wants to invade. Who's the one invading? In fact, I don't know if you recall, but there was that song by that, I guess, LGBT group where they say, we're coming for your kids. We're going to turn them gay. And then they're like, oh, it's a joke song, you know? But literally they're saying, we're coming to get your kids. Oh, oh, you, you can't be upset at that. They're just, you know, having some fun, right? This is how sarcasm works. This is how people work. They, they use plausible deniability. They put it in humor and they say true things. And then as soon as somebody calls them out on it, oh, I was just kidding. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean that, right? BS. I thought that might be a relevant analogy here, considering how that is one of the main things involved and what he doesn't want around his borders besides the missiles. Culturally and physically, militarily, doesn't want any of that. And then... He also says, did Mexico and USA never have territorial disputes? Meaning that he's disputing right now with a territory that's relatively small in the world, but it's being blown up into epic proportions. And so basically saying, did the whole world need to get involved in this? Now, think about the history of the United States. I'm not an expert on all this, but I remember talking about the Monroe Doctrine and occult Catholicism. And from what I recall, the whole point of the Monroe Doctrine, which was a USA policy, in the 19th century that forbade European powers to come over and intervene in any of the disputes that I guess America might have or anything happening over in the new world, right? Basically, they didn't want any puppet monarchies from Europe being installed in like Mexico or whatever. And this gets into the controversies, I believe, with the Habsburgs and Maximilian, the king that was executed. And this gets into the Freemason Benito Juarez, I think his name is. I'm just pulling from memory here. But basically, this allowed Freemasons to run amok in South America, like Simon Bolivar. I think he was able to capitalize off this. He's called the Napoleon of Southern America. Again, he was a Mason. And they, quote unquote, liberate all these places that were set up as to be Catholic. Again, we're setting aside any abuses of Spanish or Portuguese colonization, the, the evil word. 
Um, but for some reason, when Spain does it, it's horrible. What, but when America and Britain does it, that, that, that's fine. Obviously, now with the woke ideology, they reject all of it. But they don't make the distinctions that are proper um, because they were very different in the way the Catholics dealt with these things versus the Protestant powers. But we don't need to go to a tangent on that. The point is that all of these Masonic liberations were able to piggyback off of this because you couldn't have Catholic monarchies or at least a regime tied to an old world Christian state, even if it was more Protestant, um, that was keeping that out from intervening. And the USA said, we're, you know, we're not going to tolerate that. We won't allow you to do that. So basically (laughs) this is the United States's policy on don't encroach upon our areas. But my question would be, is this a Masonic deist enlightenment USA that puts on a veil of Christianity to dupe the Protestant culture into doing all these really secular-minded things and to keep out Christendom and Europe. But the situation is reversed here. Putin's got the, you know, the Christendom rising, if you will, however imperfect. And then everything else that's outside that's encroaching is not that. It's anti-Christian. So it's the exact same set of circumstances, just reverse cultures. But now all of a sudden, what he's saying is unacceptable that America would have deemed unacceptable before. Now it's, you know, let's just forget about those standards. We're going to reinvent them for the situation because it's convenient for us to attack Christianity and Putin and all these sorts of things and call him a madman, right? But that requires knowing something about history. And again, I'm not an expert on all this history. I'm just talking about basic points of what I can read on Britannica here. (laughs) And This is Putin's point. He says that if people just remember their history of these nations, everyone can calm down and basically measure the same standards. He says, what is so complicated about this? And I happen to agree. Um, He says, history is conveniently forgotten about Crimea. I don't know everything about that. But more importantly, how Ukraine was created. Because in the 1920s, the constitutions uh, were basically a fruit or byproduct of Vladimir Lenin's rhetoric revolution and modern Ukraine was created because of the Bolsheviks. I would recommend people listen to Dr. Ed Maza's chat on meaning of Catholic on this. I'll put it in the links. He knows a lot more about these situations than I do, but I guess it's the Bolsheviks, you know, the early ones at least didn't really care about national borders, so they could just throw off land, not a big deal. Um, That was kind of his take, if I'm recalling it correctly. But more importantly, I've heard people criticize this view of Putin saying, well, that was 100 years ago. You can't invade over a territory 100 years ago. You know, then anybody could just invade another nation and say that used to be our territory, right? You can't use that as a pretext. I find it kind of funny, though, that that, that's not the only thing he's saying. What he's saying goes much deeper than that. That, That's to oversimplify it, to make the accusation. However, if somebody's going to make that accusation, usually it's kind of like, conservative-ish people in the West um, who don't like Obama or the communists, but they still want to, you know, say the, the Western conservative regime is good. Usually they're supporting the state of Israel. And again, I'm not going to sit here and bash the state of Israel. Obviously, I know there's some problems with it and its foundations and whatever, but just like anything else, nations change, things change over time and, you know, whatever. That, that's a whole nother topic. But the point is, What exactly was 1948? It was a bunch of people being displaced so that the Jews could have a homeland, right? 
Now, setting, again, the debates aside about that, if you're going to promote that because the Jews have a right to Palestine because they used to live there way longer ago than 100 years, like Putin's saying, you know, that goes back 2,000 years since they were back in Palestine, right? Before the, the major diaspora. Um, that's an even worse claim. <laughs> it's 2,000 years, not 100 years. Um, so th- th- that, that, that way of simplistically looking at this is, is very problematic. And wrapping up this speech, he gets back to the issue here. He says the issue is, quote, security. And he says it's not that negotiations are not important but results are more important. So essentially he's saying we can talk all day and negotiate, but people have to keep their word and the actual fruits or results of the negotiations have to match what was negotiated. And so what he's saying is that not a single inch of encroachment from the West into Eastern territories was what was promised and negotiated in the 1990s. And most people seem to agree on that. But he says what happened is they cheated, they just blatantly deceived us, and they kept encroaching. So obviously he's talking about NATO here, and that NATO said Russia can't have nuclear weapons on its borders, and NATO promised they wouldn't come any closer, yet they kept coming closer. So Russia, you can't defend yourself, you can't have any major weapons. We promise we won't come closer to you, but they keep inching there. And like I said, see Dr. Edmaz's video for more on this situation the history with NATO. Now, let's move on to Putin's intervention in Ukraine. Now, before we get into, is it justified? Is there really a threat? You know, the biolabs, the cultural war, and then, of course, perhaps neocon warmongering. Let's get Putin's own viewpoint on why he's saying he's entered Ukraine. Now, first of all, he announces why he's there publicly. He's not doing it in secret. Now think about Hollywood movies whenever it involves the Pentagon or any war movie. It's interesting that the U.S., for the most part, is always operating in secret. Oh, we got a secret meeting. We got to keep it secret from the people. Don't let them know. Usually the terrorists are the ones with public demands, right? You know, they're the ones giving their demands and, you know, whatever. They might be seen as BS or whatever, but they're the ones who are just publicly saying, we want money from America. Stop this and we blow you up, right? And then they have a secret Pentagon meeting. Go get the bad guys and special ops operation kick ass or something. And then you enlist Sean Connery and Nick Cage together and you go seize the bioweapons, right? Well, in this instance, Putin's just making it very clear. And he says that the reason they are going in is because there has been a genocide of Russians in Donbass for nearly eight years, he says. And of course, that leads us back to 2014. And he says in the most barbarous ways. Now, whether you believe him or not, we're just giving his viewpoint. And he says there's been blockades, large scale punitive operations, terrorist attacks and constant artillery raids. Now, I just want to mention something real quick. I don't know if this is real or not, but if you go to the Orthodox Church YouTube channel, they have many, many videos, but one in particular is more recent. It's very disturbing. I actually watched it. I kind of wish I didn't, but the tagline is, it's a Ukrainian Nazi battalion that is capturing a Russian alive and crucifying him and burning him. It's really messed up. Now, if that is true, 
the nets really screwed up, and that would be in line with the types of atrocities that Putin is talking about here. And apparently this happened in 2014. Like I said, could be a fake video, a hoax, Kremlin propaganda, I don't know. But it is on there, and if it does happen to be real, well, <laughs> woe to the people who call Putin the evil one for coming in and trying to stop stuff like that from happening. I don't know. You decide. So I wanted to insert that there because the timeline is fitting. Continuing, Putin says, what is the guilt of these people who are Russian living in these areas since 2014? He says they are denied basic human rights and they just want to live according to their forefathers' laws and traditions and speak their native language and bring up their children as they want. He says that peaceful settlement agreements were continually ignored or sabotaged by Kiev authorities under a puppet U.S. government. Obviously, that's the implication here. And they were not implementing what was promised. So he's saying, once again, just like NATO encroaching, not keeping its promises, the Kiev puppet government since 2014 was not keeping its promises in this area either. And the Russians in the areas were suffering because of these crazy... Uh, troops or terrorist attacks or whatever. That is probably the precedence for the Ukrainian Nazi accusations. But that's just Kremlin propaganda. Continuing, Putin says, quote, Then Ukraine started to implement plans to join NATO. Kiev authorities announced intention to have nuclear weapons and delivery vehicles. This was a real threat. With foreign technical support, the pro-Nazi Kiev regime would have obtained weapons of mass destruction in the foreseeable future and, of course, would have targeted them against Russia. So either he's telling the truth or he's a paranoid, delusional madman who thinks there's a conspiracy theory against Russia and there's Ukrainian Nazis working with the liberal regime and NATO that makes promises it doesn't keep and wants to kill Russians. So basically, the attributes of Satan, the murderer and liar from the beginning, that's what he's saying, is working against him here. So paranoid, delusional, or is there some truth to this? We'll find out shortly. Continuing, he says, a network of dozens of laboratories in Ukraine with military biological programs were under the guidance and financial support of the Pentagon. Now think about all the accusations of funny business going on with bioweapons ever since COVID-1984 and weird Fauci stuff that's constantly being denied and gain of function and all that stuff. Well, apparently he's saying that that type of stuff is going on in Ukraine and on the borders of Russia. And he says this included experiments with, quote, corona strains and other viruses. And he says that frantic attempts are being made to conceal the traces of these secret programs. And we'll talk about that a little bit more shortly. But again, consider all the virus origins, conspiracy theorists, even that people in the West like use that they don't they don't like the, the Clinton regime, the Obama regime, and, and they think that there is a conspiracy with Fauci and the Wuhan virus, right? The the people who don't like communism, they don't like China and Biden and all that stuff. You know, Putin's saying the same kind of stuff here, but for some reason, those people, like I'm talking about like maybe like the Epic Times crowd. Which again, I, I, I like that newspaper. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I respect it. But that kind of organization or the people who support it or, or get their information there, they tend to be very anti-Putin and kind of 
you know, following the general rhetoric, even if they don't like where it's coming from. And I find it strange that they're saying a lot of the same things, right? About the origins of the virus or weird stuff going on with these experiments. He's not saying the coronavirus came from Wuhan lab, but he's talking about the same kind of problems or suspicions. I would figure they would want to be more on the same team or at least a little less hostile. I don't know. That's just me for trying to judge by the same standards here. And I throw the Steve Bannon war room crowd in with this kind of group, right? Again, I support that. I like the Steve Bannon and what he's doing, but there's always potential flaws in anybody, right? And maybe this is one of them. I don't know. I've heard a lot of very strong anti-Putin stuff coming from some people who have appeared in that show recently. So I'm just throwing it out there. These are all the factors at play. But more importantly, when everybody was denouncing that these biolabs didn't exist, it's just a conspiracy theory. I heard so many people say this, again, even from the traditional Catholic quote-unquote right or whatever you want to call it. Yet it's been confirmed that they're there. Now, they're not going to be called weapons facilities, bioweapons. They'll be called biolabs with very sensitive materials or something like that. And Tucker Carlson even reported on this and was stupefied that he actually thought that this story couldn't be true. He's like, it's the one time we believed the liberal media on it that this couldn't possibly be true. And of course it was. So shame on us for trusting the liberal media in this one instance. They lied again, basically, because <laughs> he didn't want to believe that this could be possible. It's too far even for Tucker Carlson, but he kudos to him for reporting on it. And then it's come out amongst other people, um, which we'll talk more about in a bit. Now, if you go to some of Michael Matt's videos on the topic, um, as particularly, I think it's Biden's sorrows and the ghost of John McCain video. Well, he shows a video where Putin calls out the 2014 regime change and calls it a coup. And that the people in the area that he's invading, the Donbass area and whatnot, they didn't accept this coup. And so they've been outcasted and persecuted by the regime ever since. And that genocide and atrocities have been committed against them. And that's one of the main reasons for invading, to protect them. So in another video on James's blog page, we have Putin giving another public announcement about why he's going into Ukraine. And here's a few points that are perhaps important. He says, we are going in for a demilitarization and a denazification of Ukraine. And he says, this is for justice for the horrific war crimes of the People's Republic of Donbass who appeal to him for help to protect the people who have been subject to bullying and genocide by the Kiev regime for eight years. More importantly, he says that their plans of the Russian invasion do not include the occupation of Ukrainian territories we are not going to impose anything on anyone by force. So it doesn't sound like they want to remain there. They just want to go in and take out these military groups that they think are Nazified. Um, and this is one of the, the main objectives here. And so there's a response to this by the West saying, Putin's crazy. Doesn't he realize that the Ukrainian regime is being headed by a Jewish guy, Zelensky? How could he be commanding a Nazi regime if he's Jewish, right? Now, taken in isolation, okay, interesting point. But compare that with so many things that have been going on recently and, and calling anybody a Nazi at the drop of a hat. This is going to be so hypocritical and ironic. So first of all, 
They're blaming Putin for using a false Nazi narrative to justify his own attacks. Okay, this is by the media, CBS, all these people. Putin's just falsely claiming Nazis are somewhere so he can just be a, an aggressor. <laughs> Think about what all of the communist liberals have been doing the past, I don't know how many years, calling everyone else a Nazi who's not in order to justify attacking them and trying to hurt them politically or put them in jail or whatever it might be, right? Think about what Father Ripperger says about demons. They project everything they're doing onto everybody else. And then the people they have the greatest influence over will do the same in turn. And meanwhile, the people who claim that everyone else is a Nazi probably actually act like Nazis, even if they've gone under real Nazi persecution. So let's talk about some examples. There's an interesting video by one George Soros in an interview. I think it's on 60 Minutes, something like that. I'll put it in the links. It's an official interview. And basically, he was rounded up by the Nazis when he was a young Jewish boy in Hungary. And I think he was 14 years old. And what happened was he pretended to be Christian to escape the persecution. And what happened was he was forced to confiscate property from other Jews while pretending to not be Jewish. And so the interviewer asked him, you know, did this cause any psychological trauma? You're going through this whole experience and you have to actually pretend you're a Nazi or you're going along with them in order to escape them. So obviously that would be very traumatic, it would seem, or at least perhaps have some internal guilt. And again, in that situation, it certainly is understandable, right? You're a young kid, you're under a lot of pressure or whatever. Uh, it's a tough situation for anyone to be in. However, when he's asked about this, Soros, it not, it's not that only that he doesn't feel guilty, but the way he talks about it, he's like, oh, I just kind of view it like I view markets. Someone's going to fill that role and do what I did. So it doesn't really matter. He looked at it very like rationalistically, animalistically, Darwinism, bigwig capital viewpoint. Like, oh, I, I saw the situation like markets or something. I forget exactly what he said. Watch the interview yourself. It's kind of creepy. And it's almost like he knows he should have some more sympathetic, emotional reason. But it's almost like he really wants to say the truth. Like, no, I viewed it like markets. <laughs> like, it's, it's really kind of screwed up. And then the interviewer, after he answers like that, asks him, um, so Mr. Soros, are, are you religious? He's like, no. It's like, do you believe in God? No. <laughs> so I don't know. It's just really creepy. So the point is, he has a history of not really caring if he's doing the Nazis bidding or not. Even though he'll call the Nazis evil, he viewed it like he views the stock market, I guess, or like supply and demand. He's saying that if I didn't take these things away from these Jewish people and confiscate their property. Someone else would have. So I, I don't feel any guilt and I, it doesn't even really matter. It just would have happened. He just kind of nonchalantly brushes it off and is even kind of smiley about it. He's like, oh, a funny thing. <laughs> like it's, it's very strange. So anyways, I suggest you watch it. So he has no problem funding revolutions or getting things going in Ukraine. And, you know, there's certainly Nazis in there and everything, but he doesn't really care so much about getting them out. It seems it's more about getting the Russians out. Find that very strange. And of course, if you say something like this and criticize George Soros, then you're called anti-Semitic. Speaking of which, meanwhile, in Canada, 
Mr. Justin Trudeau called the truckers, if you stand with them or support them, you're waving the swastika flag. And then an ethnically Jewish conservative, I think she might be like a lesbian, but regardless, she's in support of the truckers and she's seen as a conservative and she's got a Jewish background. She's offended by this statement because she's ethnically Jewish. So he's accusing her of standing with a swastika, a woman whose parents were, you know, in in the Jewish camps or something, right? And Trudeau will not apologize. He didn't seem to care in the least bit about what he said, and it obviously caused a huge stir. So calling somebody else a Nazi in order to demonize and attack them, well, only Putin does that when he uses it to invade Ukraine, right? (laughs) People like Justin Trudeau wouldn't do that, or or George Soros wouldn't have Nazi hypocritical actions, Um, all that stuff. And then also, meanwhile, meanwhile, (laughs) Trump, who's been seen as a friend to the Zionist regime, which made actual Nazis not want to support him, um, and the regime which was created out of the ashes of World War II for Jews after Nazi persecution, well, apparently Trump's also a Nazi. (laughs) Just just calling somebody a Nazi actually has, like, no real meaning anymore. And even Obama said to Trump, how hard is it to denounce Nazis, Donald? Well, apparently it's kind of hard because everybody redefines it that completely contradicts one person to another. So it actually is kind of hard. And it seems to me the only people denouncing actual Nazis, the ones that claim a succession back to Nazi groups in Ukraine, are people like Vladimir Putin that wants to go in and denazify the Ukrainian army, or at least that's what he says. Um, So I don't know. You figure out what that all means to you. Moving on. There's another video of Putin, quick one, where he tells people, he's trying to speak to the U.S. citizens, he's saying that they are trying to blame Russia for the sanctions that the U.S. and the West are imposing upon it, while Russia wants to honor its obligations and, you know, whatever it's doing, selling oil or whatever it does, you know, exports. And he's saying that the high inflation in the U.S. is trying to be blamed on Russia for the U.S.'s own mistakes. So like we said, the demons projecting everything they're doing onto everybody else That one's kind of a no-brainer. Another video, Putin makes an appeal to who he calls, quote, the ordinary citizens of Western states, and he wants them to hear him too in this. And he tells us that the Western elites are trying to convince us, its own citizens, that all of our problems are a result of Russia's hostile actions, and that our wallets are being squeezed and what are coming from what he calls the mythical Russian threat. The Russians don't want to attack the West or do anything. They just want to keep NATO off their borders and, you know, liberate these areas where this persecution is going on in Ukraine, according to them. Again, you can say he's lying and this is all just a bunch of nonsense. But is he not wrong when he's saying these words that the Western elites are the ones who are blaming Russia for its own mistakes, its own myopia and ambitions and that they do not care about improving the lives of its citizens, but are instead, quote, obsessed with their own selfish interests and super profits. So you can blame Putin for being obsessed with his own self-interests or super profits or whatever, but really think about what he's saying and think about the projection tactics of demons and also, more importantly, specs and logs, even if there are some selfish interests on the Putin side of things, how do they weigh out in the scales 
in comparison to all these regimes that we're supposed to support and fight for freedom and democracy. Moving on, a couple more videos and we'll be done. In another video, Putin says he is tired of everything going on. He wants to address the leaders of the world. And he says, quote, what evil plan are you designing? You are the people who are deliberately trying to reduce the population at the cost of innocent lives. Gee, that's what the alternative media has been saying for decades. The elites wanting to reduce the population of the world. And here's somebody on the world stage saying that, but he must be lying. He must be in on it. He just must want political power and appealing to populism. He's just a fake Christian, of course. Continuing, he says, O tyrants of the world, I know your sinister plan to reduce the population of this planet, but today history will show you that collective wisdom and common sense are stronger. We demand that you back down from your plan. I stand here today in peace. Hmm, that's interesting, because remember Christ said that blessed are the peacemakers and that he is the prince of peace, or that's what the gospel says. But he also divides by the sword. And what divides by the sword? Is that commandments, right? Like thou shalt not kill innocent lies by promoting massive abortion everywhere? Seems pretty strange that that could apply to what Putin's saying here. We don't want depopulation and the breaking of commandments. We want Christian marriage and to try to get rid of abortion. Still might be a problem, but it's making progress away from it. But at the same time, he's declaring war on the tyrants of the world, it would seem, and wants to divide by the sword there. Very strange, that application. So, in his piece that he offers, or claims he offers, well, he says he wants to keep this in the minds of the youth and the oppressed in peace. And he says, see that I am aware of you, the globalist's plan, and your policies should change immediately. Your media needs to start telling the truth. America and Europe. And if that they continue on this way, he says, these are fighting words here, in addition to divine wrath, you must also face my wrath. Back off your plan, God and my country, or death. Now, if you took those last few statements and took them out of context and threw them in the hands of American revolutionaries, that they'll fight to the death for God and country, it kind of sounds like what the MAGA people think our country is all about, right? But perhaps we have to define these things a little bit more clearly. But it seems to me that Putin has defined these things fairly clearly. You can believe that he's not being sincere, but I don't know, man. Seems really strange to me. In another video, Putin makes it very clear that anybody who tries to interfere with this mission of Russia will get an immediate response from Russia, and that they will see losses like they've never seen in their own history, but which Russia has, implying that Russia's been through way more losses than these Western countries have over the course of history. So obviously he's being very stern here. You can take that for what you will. You can say that as being a dictator or whatever, or maybe sending out a warning because that's what he feels like he needs to do. No different than the way the U.S. has threatened people before, but somehow that's fine when they do it. So let's move on to the bioweapons controversy, or at least biolabs, I should say. We won't say the word weapons, because then you get fact-checked and flogged and you're spreading disinfo. So there is another video here on the blog page from the Russian Ministry of Defense talking about the biological program issues that they say is headed by the Pentagon that are in Ukraine. 
And so from this, I guess, general, or whoever he might be, colonel, I'm not sure, um, he's talking about the intelligence that Russia's gathered on this issue, and that's part of their invasion, I guess, um, or it's caught their attention. So he says, quote, Russia has turned its attention to the military biological program made by the Pentagon, which involves 30 biolabs in Ukraine. And this has been confirmed by the United States itself, um, by uh, Victoria Newland. We'll talk about her video later. Now, I'm not exactly sure the entire context here. I think maybe they've confiscated some documents about it. Um, don't quote me on that, but it seems like their assessment is that these labs' purposes have several different reasons for them. Um, they can be divided into scientific research or sanitary biological research, which are quote-unquote kosher, right? That's not weapons. Um, and that they were to monitor biological environment near NATO military locations, which is kind of odd. Um, and that one of the goals is to bring dangerous pathogens back to the U.S. I don't really know what that meant. Not not necessarily to attack the U.S. I don't know, just to transfer things. But he also said there's research on potential biological weapons or agents of them. And he says that this is all under the pretext of studying corona infection and DNA samples being moved around. So we're saying, we're going to use these labs to study the coronavirus and, and cure people. I think that's a, what he's saying is the pretext for these bio labs on the whole. And he says that these have been tracked since 2014, I guess. And he says there's been a lot of weird sickness in Ukraine's health system, a lot of poor conditions. And he's wondering if some of these are the results of these bio labs and experiments on the surrounding populace. I think that's the context. Like I said, I was a little unclear about what exactly was being mentioned here in the video. And it's obviously translated from Russian. So I don't know if there's a couple words that are missing. But he's basically saying that he thinks that some of these things were involved in weapons and that the swine flu was overseen by the Pentagon on some level and it caused harm to some of these regions and that pork could not be exported in Poland and Ukraine. And again, this is back, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the state of Ukraine was back in 2007, but obviously the American regime hadn't taken over and had its coup at that point. And then he says that the Ukraine is minimizing the effects of these lab impacts on the territories around it and that they're trying to destroy these experiments, uh, particularly in February 2022, so recently when they invaded, uh, so that Russia couldn't catch them with all these experiments because basically these would violate certain pacts or uh, promises that they've made about not developing weapons and whatever. So I guess here's the overarching context. He's saying that when Russia invaded Ukraine, these biolabs started like torching their stuff so they wouldn't be caught with the evidence that they were messing with stuff that they shouldn't be, right? This is like changing the definition of gain of function when you're doing something that's actually illegal. But for America, we can just change the definition. Everyone will accept it. Here, no one's going to accept this in the area. So they're just trying to burn the evidence. It's like when you're getting a raid on a drug uh, house and they try to flush the drugs down a toilet or whatever it is, right? Um so he's basically saying there's a cover-up and he's saying, what were they doing when the Russians gained control? And was this the concern of that Victoria Newland lady who was really concerned about the Russians getting control of these labs? So 
what's the concern if they're not bioweapons labs and who cares if the Russians have them? So then they try to turn it around. Like, think about this. Let's say somebody's encroaching on my property and they say, I'm going to get you. We're going to kill you. We're whatever. We're coming after you, right? Just like uh, John McCain and Lindsey Graham saying we're going on the offense in 2017. And then I go over to this empty house next door and find out a bunch of weapons are in it and I confiscate them. And that's where the attack was planning on coming. And then somebody sees me with the weapons confiscated and like, look, Mike wants to kill us all. He has all these crazy weapons. He's a madman denying the fact that those weapons were there to begin with to attack me. See what I'm saying? I think that that's kind of the, the, the point of the situation. What were these things doing there, especially if they had weapons capabilities right on the border when obviously Russia was promised no aggression and this violates a pact anyways. So you can decide if that's all true, what you think about that, but it's just a very strange situation. And I just wanted to mention those things. So the last thing we'll talk about before we wrap up this segment is the behavior of the Russian military during this particular invasion that's still going on now. But first, let's recap. Russia said it wanted to go into Ukraine to liberate these people from being persecuted and genocide and, you know, attacking Russians in the Donbass area by these Ukrainian army Nazis or just oppressive people that are tied to the government and the military and are concerned about these bio labs or any other weapons that might be there on their border and to confiscate them. And they don't want to destroy the infrastructure. They don't want to hurt the civilians. Um, again, this is war. There's collateral damage sometimes, but there's a way of minimizing those things or maximizing those things. And I would say that the U.S. has no problem maximizing those things and then just trying to say that they're not war crimes or it's for democracy. Don't worry about a half million dead children over the course of these years. Madeleine Albright thinks it's just fine, even though it's a tough decision. So on James's blog article. There's a number of videos, and these look like homegrown videos. You can accuse them of being fake propaganda put out by the Kremlin, whatever you'd like to do. But please just watch them. They look like the average everyday YouTube video that gets uploaded when somebody in the street witnesses something. And ask yourself, is what they're witnessing pretty much exactly what the Russians said they were going to do? Now, there's one video of a colonel of the Russian army, he identifies himself, assuming the translations are accurate. And he's talking to Ukrainian citizens. They're just regular people um, of all ages. And he says to these Ukrainians that the Russians are not there to hurt them. And he tells them where there is an exit, where there is safe harboring and supplies. He's being very cordial, very peaceful. He's shaking hands with them. He's being very non-threatening, even though he's got a machine gun or his, his uh, posse does. Now, in the next segment, we're going to contrast this with what we see out of the Ukrainian unit army or these various tactics of the Ukraine's military regime or different factions. We're going to see them kicking Russians out of Orthodox churches in a very different fashion. Um, like I said, we're going to talk about that in the next video. And continuing, this commander says, We are here on orders of the president of the Russian Federation, so Putin, to liberate Ukraine from fascists and Nazis and criminals that are in power. He also says that they are there so that the citizens can live in peace and that 
They do not go near civilians, especially not children. Or that's at least not their plan. We might see that some of the tactics of the Zelensky regime are trying to intentionally make that happen. That's up for debate, but we'll talk about that again in the next segment. So that's one video that could be uh, a fake video. It could be just one Russian soldier behaving nicely while the rest of them are being sadistic murderers. Or he could be doing this for the camera. You can make whatever theory you want up about it. But there's also another video of a Russian soldier giving out humanitarian aid and food and supplies to all these people. It looks very relaxed. It almost looks like a party block party gathering, like a soup kitchen or something. Very non-threatening. Then you have another video where there's Russian troops that are seizing arms right on the border. And I'm not a military expert, but... I know that when I know people with guns, even if they have more hardcore guns like assault rifles or whatever, uh, I don't see any of this stuff that they own. There's like anti-tank missiles, all these Western arms. It looks like hardcore stuff. Now, one of these examples is from RT News, which is the Russian Kremlin propaganda machine, of course. However, they have been banned from YouTube, like Trump and many others. Um, So take it for what you will. But they look like very real weapons to me. Maybe they staged it. Maybe they're not even Western arms and they're just making all this up. You can decide for yourself. However, in the next video, like I said, we're going to look at the Zelensky regime. There's going to be a lot of different reports about things that are very contrary to the way the Russians are behaving. Where regular everyday citizens, instead of being sent to safety and getting humanitarian aid, they're actually being forced to take up arms or perhaps even used as cannon fodder to try to perhaps produce dead bodies for the camera to try to enlist more aid from foreign powers? I don't know. These are the accusations. You can decide for yourself. And of course, I'm sure there's footage of Russian troops doing this or that. I don't know. We see all this stuff on MSNBC, but sometimes certain things from past events might get inserted that aren't actually from the particular conflict that they're saying it's from. There's a lot of weird shenanigans. You can make up your mind on it. It's very difficult. But take it all holistically into context before you make up too staunch of a decision, I would suggest. So we will see you the next segment.